So I'm going to capitalise on everything that he uh, talked on last week and what Ben McGregor talked about the week before. And, uh, and this morning, because I was pondering over the week some of the stuff that uh, Kenna kind of put in front of us to think about last week, I was thinking, okay, so as we go into this thing of mission, for each one of us according to mission, what, how do we do that? Like, what tools do we use? And probably the biggest, most effective tool we have is story. We have two stories to tell. We have his story and we have our own. And there's these moments for many of us where our story has intersected and become one with God's story. How, and like loads of us have had that experience, haven't we? And so we have this really powerful tool available to us and that's what we're going to spend time on this morning. So why don't we pray as we get into this and uh, just invite God to do what he wants with us this morning. So Lord, we, we come before you, your people. We are here because someone reached out to us. You captured someone's heart with care for us. And Lord, I ask that this morning, that as we come, as we think again about what you're calling us into with regards to mission, Lord, this going to people, to bring them, Lord, how we use your story and our story in that Well, I ask that you come, and it wouldn't just be something that sort of tickles our ears or kind of stirs up our ideas, but Lord, that you capture our hearts with your love for other people. So would you come, Lord, anything that's not of you, I just pray that it just kind of falls off, but Lord, anything that you want to grab our hearts, Lord, I pray, God, that you would come and do that today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, one of the verses that I uh, on used last week has kind of stuck with me all week, and it's Acts 1, verse 8. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples just as he's about to leave them. He has lived his life. He has been crucified on the cross. He died. He rose again, and he spent time with them, traveling around and talking to them about what to expect when he left. And this is what he says to them. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And can I rightly say that this is Jesus giving us a template, a bit of a kind of a starting pack on how we do this stuff called mission. We start local because for the disciples, they were in Jerusalem. That's the city they were in. So we start local. And then we're supposed to spread throughout all the earth to the outer ends of the world. And the cool thing is, is it, you know, because you hear that, and I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes this whole thing of, you know, telling other people about Jesus can seem a wee bit daunting. But he tells us that we're witnesses. We're witnesses to him and for him. And what does a witness do? Well, all they do is they just tell people what they've seen, they've heard, and they've experienced. That's it. That doesn't sound like I need a degree in theology or anything to be able to do that. We just tell what we've seen, what we've heard, and what we've experienced. And for us, in this context, we want to then offer the invitation for people to join us in that. Because it's not just for us. In Romans 10, verse 13 and 14, Paul, the apostle, tells us this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. Right there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? 
And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So he's saying that this is available to everybody, but it's not going to work. And how can they believe in Jesus if they've never even heard of him? And how are they going to hear about him unless someone tells them about him? So that that can start them on the journey. It's not enough. I think there's sort of this movement and it's somewhat reactionary to some of the less helpful models that have been used within church to kind of spread the good news. Sometimes it actually doesn't even come across sounding like good news. Um, or it's just been a model or a framework that we've gone, oh, I, could just, I just can't do that. I can't stand on a street corner with an alpaler, you know, or something like that. But it's not enough for us to just hope that people are going to get this. You know, because there's, there's been this swing and reaction to some of those unhelpful models where people have gone, you know, I don't have to be preaching at people. I don't have to tell people about this. I just need to live different. I just need to live a life that people are going to go, there's something different about you. Well, yes. Yes, we do need to do that. We would expect that to happen, wouldn't we? That as God is doing his work within our lives, that our lives are going to change and we are going to live differently. But we can't just hope that that's going to do it. Because as Paul tells us, we need to tell people about Jesus. How many of us have actually been the recipients of someone taking a very deep breath and telling us? Probably most of us that have come to faith at some point, someone has actually had that conversation with us. Let me tell you about someone who loves you. So we need to be at both ends. We need to live it, and we need to tell people about it. And Jesus did exactly that. He's our role model, isn't he, in all of this anyway? He was a fantastic storyteller. If we read through scripture, we see him telling these things called parables, and our stories, essentially. And he uses local examples so that people can kind of get what he's talking about. He uses local language, local reference points, but he weaves these stories that are like multifaceted, multi-layered, and often raise more questions than answers. He seems to have no problem in leaving people hanging. He doesn't seem to feel like he needs to answer all their questions. In fact, usually he just kind of stirs them up and says, I'll see you later. But he's this fantastic storyteller. So let's take a look at, the, at this one of the stories that he tells. In Matthew 13, 1 to 13. Now that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on shore. He was a popular guy. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even that they will, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. 
Though seeing, they do not see, and though hearing, they do not hear or understand. The message translation, which is another version of Scripture, gives us this to say in that verses 11 to 15. Jesus replies, You have been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everyone has that gift or this insight that hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. And that's why I tell stories, to create readiness and to nudge people towards receptive insight. Probably many of us have actually been those people. That for years we might have had stuff in front of us, we may have grown up in the church, or we may have had friends that talked to us about this stuff, but it sort of was like we saw but we didn't see, or we heard but we didn't hear or understand. And yet then something changed. Something happened on our internal world that enabled us to be able to see and hear really who Jesus was and what the kingdom was all about. The great news here is that, I, mean, I think this is hilarious, where he says, you guys know how the kingdom works, but they don't. And yet, so many times, the disciples would come to him after all the crowds of them, and they'd go, what, what was it all about? Like, we don't understand anything you just said. Can you just tell us what that meant? I'm thinking, well, if other guys were supposed to know what it was all about, it's good news for us. We're doing fine. But, uh, but I'm really encouraged by this. You know, Jesus goes on to explain that parable, and he says that he is the sower of the seed, and the different kinds of soil reflect the different states of people's hearts. And here's a couple of things that I think we can take encouragement from. I am not a gardener. Anyone who's been to our house will know we have a lot of gardens. They were all planted by the previous owner. We have not done well even looking after those, but I admire a lovely garden, and what I know of gardening, which is granted not a lot, is you sow seeds so that things grow, plants grow. From what I gather, you do this many times, because there is a seasonal approach to this thing. Different crops grow at different times, so you have to plant the seeds at different times of the year. Andrew, am I right? He's our resident horticulturist. And, uh, and, and Jesus is like, he's sowing seed, he's scattering the seed around. He doesn't really seem to care that much about the state of the soil. Like, you know, I thought you had to clear all the weeds and the thorns and things away before you sowed seed. He is taking this fairly, what seems like, scattershot approach, where he's just casting seed everywhere he goes. Two things let's take away from this. We don't sow seed just once. If the one time we pluck up courage to talk to someone about a bit of our faith journey, they respond with, oh, that's fine for you, but I don't want to borrow it, thanks. Or, or worse, or just, you know, ambivalence, didn't really make any difference at all. Don't worry. It could just be that it's not the right season for that seed to take root. That doesn't stop us from casting more seed. Because Jesus is just saying, just scare the seed. That's all you need to do. We, the other thing is, is we're not responsible for people's response. Jesus doesn't seem at all phased by the fact that some of that seed doesn't ever take root, or even if it does, it doesn't last. Probably because he knows it's seasonal, I'll just come back around and do it all over again, and get a different response next time. The thing is for us, we don't know the state of people's hearts. We don't know what their internal kind of world is, and whether they're receptive or not to this. We just have to trust that God does. Our job 
is to be witnesses, to just tell his story, tell our story, scatter seed everywhere we go, and trust that he'll do with it what he wants. And the great thing is, we don't have to have all the answers. Jesus didn't have a problem with questions. He just kind of left them hanging. Even the, the disciples had no idea what this one was about. Doesn't matter. We don't have to feel like we have to have all of this faith stuff figured out before we can tell people anything. Okay? So let's not let any of those things discourage us from actually becoming great at giving away what we have and telling the stories as best we know now to scatter seed everywhere we go. So we have two stories. We have his story and we have our story. And we have this intersection and union of those two stories. So I brought with me a prop. Some of you may have seen one of these before. Which is the Bible. I walked in with it under my arm this morning. I'm like, wow, this takes me back. <laughs> when I came to faith a very long time ago, this is what we did. But granted, I had a smaller one that I used to take church in. This is quite a hefty tone. There's a whole new weight to the words of Bible bashing, isn't it? Um, we're not doing that, by the way. Um, but I brought this because it is his story. This is his story. All of scripture is telling the story of God. And this Bible is a gift to me from my friend who gave, never gave up regardless of the state of my heart and telling me over and over and over of the story of Jesus who loved me regardless of how messy my life was. And he did that for a few years in my late teens, early twenties when I wasn't doing so great. And he gave me this right smack in the middle of that time in 1986. And, uh, and I was probably not very gracious in receiving it, because I'm like, oh, awesome. Didn't really want that. But uh, went on to be one of my treasured possessions, and even though it's a bit hefty and I don't carry it around a all the time, it'll be one that I never get rid of, because it's, it's a story of God's faithfulness to me, and of a friend's faithfulness to me, and not giving up, and telling me about the Jesus who loved me. So, but we can look at this, guys, and go, there is a lot in that. The typeface on this is really small, so they pack a lot of words in. And we can be a bit daunted by that, can't we? In telling his story, we look at that and go, there is a lot to remember. I'm not going to be getting this all right, and it's not an easy book to understand. Don't worry. There are many tools at our disposal. The Bible, we have to remember, is one unified story that points and leads us to Jesus. It is one story. However, it's made up of and told through the lives of the men and women that populate its pages. And they all are woven together. It's this incredible tapestry of story that takes us on a journey and shows us who God is and how he relates to humankind. Basically, we discover in the Bible that we are created by and for love. But that humanity messes it up over and over and over again. But God, because of his great love for his creation, pursues humanity and makes a way for them to be reconciled to him over and over and over again. This desire for relationship with us led in culmination to Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. And Jesus, while he was on earth, demonstrates and models and gives us an example of how to live fully human the way that God designed for us to be. And he shows us glimpses of what the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. 
And he made a way for us to be restored to relationship with God. And he points a way to a future of being with him in eternity. And he leads us, empowered and strengthened by the gift of the Holy Spirit, to live this faith until he returns. It's a good news story. Isn't it? It has the power to change lives. It's changed our lives for many of us. Now, in Mark 16, we're told by Jesus to go into all of the world and to preach the good news to everyone. So, we should have plenty to do all of the days of our lives because there's a lot of people in all of the world. So, how have people tried to tell the story, God's story, over the years? If we think about things like art, I am not an artist. However, I love art. I am awe of people who can paint and draw and create in ways that express so much. And uh, if you've ever, uh, well, if you've ever thought about art, you would have heard of the guy from Michelangelo. Yep. Yeah. Now, he painted a ceiling of a chapel in the church in Rome called the Sistine Chapel. It took him four years to paint it from 1508 to 1512. And he was telling the story of nine different scenes from the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. Now, there's this one part of the painting where we see God reaching out to Adam, or humanity. This is a profound truth of the story of God. Now, this is set within a culture that was teaching people that they, the weight of responsibility rested with people to be able to come to God. We had to earn our way in. We had to be good enough. We had to do all the right things. So all the weight of that was firmly on humanity. And that God was somewhat distant, if not pretty removed. Michelangelo has the audacity to paint a God who's actually leaning out. He's the one who looks like he's doing all the work. Reaching out to mankind. Adam, well, he's kind of looking quite laid back. Not really doing much of anything. The effort appears to be on the part of God to reach and connect with humanity. And they are this close. And you're kind of left looking at that going, who's going to nudge first? Because they're that close and they'll be connected. This was an amazing truth-telling moment in a story that was, he was trying to communicate to everyone who saw it. And yet, at the end of his life, he wrote a letter to a friend and he said this, I'm only a poor man and of little value, a man who goes along laboring in that art which God has given me for as long as I possibly can. He was just so unseen. He was telling God's story as best he knew how with the gifts that he had. Or if you think about music or poetry or film, most films are filled with these stories of redemption or the power of love or forgiveness or hope or strength and adversity. All of those things come from the heart of God. They reflect God's nature and our quest, our longing for those things. We long for forgiveness. We long for reconciliation. We long for redemption. We're hardwired for it. I remember this movie. We were going through, we like movies a lot in our family, and uh, we were going through this period of watching a whole lot of all the old classics. And uh, we were watching Charlton Heston as Moses in the Ten Commandments. Have you seen that one? Yeah. And there's this moment in this, scene, in this uh, film that always just really struck me 
kind of stuck with me forever afterwards. And it was this moment as um, as all of the Israelites were getting ready to leave Egypt, and Moses is about to lead them out of captivity and out of slavery into the desert where God says he promises freedom and life for them. And so there's this panning shot as, as Moses is looking out over the people and it sort of scans the crowd. And there's just like thousands of people and there's old people and little people and, you know, families and individuals and goats and donkeys and camels and, you know, sheep, you name it. It's loud, it's dusty, and I imagine if you would be quite smelly. And, uh, and it would not have been a place that you would want to let go of your toddler's hand, you know. You'd never see them again. So there's this kind of chaos as everyone's getting all of their belongings ready to leave Egypt. And so he's looking out over all of this and then he turns around and he looks out into the desert. And it suddenly struck me, he has no idea where he's going. And there's no road. Like there was just, just desert. There was no road or anything. And all those people think he knows what he's doing. And so there's, you know, there's that moment where for Moses to be obedient to God and to follow him meant that he had to like step into this place of complete unknowingness, trusting that God would actually lead him and lead them. How many times for us have we been in situations where we've felt like God has said, I want you to do this thing, but it means you leave what you know and what you're comfortable with there and you have to step into the unknown. How many of us have experienced that? And how encouraging it is to be able to have little glimpses into the reality of we have a good company. People of faith have been doing that for centuries. This is part of what it means to follow God. This is the power of his story, as it gives us courage to say yes to him. And people have been found in ways to tell those stories to us for a long time. A great tool, which we haven't got time to show you any of the clips this morning, but there's a great tool that you can uh, go online for. They have YouTube clips. They've got a, a Bible reading app, and it's called The Bible Project. And they do these fantastic little video clips that actually take you through all the different books of the Bible, and they explain it. They give you the history. They give you the context. They help you to see what the main themes are, understand the key characters, all of that in a quest to help us to grow in confidence and understanding his story. And I've got this little app that you can download called Read Scripture. And uh, it gives you a Bible reading plan where they've woven these uh, little videos and things all the way in through it. And, uh, and it's just the most helpful thing in terms of, like, we live in this fantastic age, don't we? Of, like, where we've got all these tools at our fingertips. So that might be a place to start. You're kind of listening to this and you're looking at that thing thinking, man, I'm a bit daunted by his story. And yet his is the big one. We're just like this little teensy little chapter, maybe a paragraph, large paragraph, maybe. His is the big story. We actually need to find ourselves in his story. It has to be that way around. And so for many of us that wrestle with this whole thing of reading about the Bible and understanding it, tools like the Bible Project or Read Scripture is so helpful to us. So I'd encourage you to pursue that. So people have been finding ways of telling God's story in whatever way it kind of fits who they are and the skills they have over and over and over and over again. And we get to be part of that person. But we also have our story to tell. And we're often a bit more familiar with this. However, we are somewhat 
sometimes insecure. We kind of can wrestle with this thinking, oh, what have I got to say? What do I have to offer? Or my life's been a bit of a mess, so what do I, you know, what can I offer anybody? Well, let's have a look at that. I was talking to someone this week, and she was just saying how she's constantly amazed how when they have been going through some stuff as a family, often some of the hard things, that later on down the track, God seems to bring someone into their, across their paths that's going through a similar thing. And that they're able to better help and understand them because of their own experience. Isn't that just the most amazing thing, how God does that? Like, whether it's great stuff that happens to us or really tough things, that he redeems all of it, and it gives us this capacity to be able to empathize and understand and journey with other people in ways that we just never could have. It's an awesome thing. So we kind of live show-and-tell lives. So we're showing people by how we live and we're telling them about things. And it would be easy to think, yeah, well, you know, when things are going great, that's when I have a good story to tell. My mountaintop moments, you know, that's when I have something good to tell people about. However, life's just not all that. Well, mine hasn't been. Most of the people I talk to seem to live where we have seasons in the valleys. And some of those seasons are really long. Here's the thing. God's in both places. He's in the valleys and he's on the mountaintops and everywhere in between. We have stories we can tell even when we're in the middle of the valley that are powerful and important. So we start with where we're at. So, you know, the question comes from, well, how do we start? How do we do this? We just start with where we are. Ask ourselves the questions, well, who am I? Really, who am I? And where do I come from? Not just geographically, although that does have an impact on who we connect with, but also where have we come from in terms of where has God taken me from and where am I now? What's happened in your life? What have been the most amazing experiences that you've had? And what are some of the most terrible? What are you grateful? Where do you see or where have you seen God doing things in you and through you? What is your story? Because each one of us has a story to tell. And where do we do it? Well, everywhere. Everywhere, all the time. And that would be incredibly weird, let me just say, it would be really weird if you just go up to someone for a cup of coffee and you start telling them the whole of your life story. Too much information. So we definitely exercise some wisdom here. But it's that whole thing of, you know, as, as we're having a cup of coffee with a friend, or we're walking the dog on the beach, or we're out sitting on the boat fishing, please bring on the summer, uh, you know, and just killing time, or after a football game when you're just hanging out, or you're making plans to go to the movies, but hey, let's get together beforehand. It's all of those times and everything in between, all the incidental stuff that happens in our lives that we get to do with other people, that we get opportunities just to listen first to what it is that's happening for them. And then do we have something to offer where we can connect with them? Where we can talk about, you know, a time when that we understand because this happened to me. And this is where God was in that. 
We all have those moments that we can share. You know, um, Hina encouraged us last week to think about what do we love to do and then do, do it and invite people to come join us. That's a great way for us to build connection with people and be able to find things in common that then we build relationship out of. Because all of this comes out of relationship. It's not like some weird thing and we rock up to a stranger and, you know, start doing this. This is all out of relationship. And uh, one of the churches we visited in the States is uh, in a place called Duluth. It's in northern Minnesota, like just a couple of hours south of um, the Canadian border. And uh, talking to the pastor there, Michael Gatlin, he was describing how when his family moved to Duluth, uh, they didn't know anybody. And he was a painter. In fact, that's what he thought he was going to do with his life. He had been to art school. He was painting professionally, making a living from that. Uh, painting is an like, amazing painting. And, um, and then God turned out he had other ideas. So when they got to Duluth, he was like, well, how am I going to get to know people? So he thought, okay, I need to find where my people are, you know. And the two things he loved was painting and riding motorcycles. So he found where the artists would all get together and different, do different things together. And whenever he was driving around, if he saw a bar or a restaurant or something where there's a bunch of motorbikes parked up outside, he'd go inside and just go find the people and just start striking up conversations and building friendships. And now, all these years later, they do this thing out of their church called Bless the Bikes, where hundreds of motorcyclists come roaring up on their, you know, these are like the big bikes, um, uh, to their church once a year where they pray for all of them and then they go off on some big bike ride and hang out for the day. It's become a thing. Because we just leaned into, well, this is what I love. This gives me a place to connect. This is a place where I can get to know people. I mean, you know, we get to share our stories with one another. And he has two great stories to tell. God's story and his story. We all have versions of that, don't we? It's just kind of being intentional with it a little bit. And the thing is, is that there are huge consequences for the people that we get to do this with. If you think about your own journey of faith, Someone who came and told you the story of this God who loved you and wanted to forgive you and restore a relationship with you and give you meaning and purpose and hope changed your life. Probably changed the direction of your life. It's probably definitely had quite significant influence on the decisions you made. I know for myself that that friend who hung out with me through all of that is still one of our best friends. It's through him I met Matt. Good decision there. And, uh, but it's changed the course of my life. The decision that I made on the back of a friend who just kept telling me, it was like that annoying little voice, you know, it would not go away. God loves you. God loves you. He wants you back. Come back. He loves you. He'll forgive you. Don't worry what you've done. Over and over and over again. That radically changed not just my destiny, but the destiny of our family. So our kids are on a different trajectory to what I grew up on. I expect the same thing will happen with my grandkids and great-grandkids and all the ones who come afterwards. This is the stuff that we get to be part of. God's on a mission, man. He's like, he's on a mission to chase people down. Because he loves them. And we get to be part of that. And we get to use parts of our story to help us connect with other people. So for me, when I am with a young mum who's just wrestling with the choices of staying at home and not working, who's like trying to figure out, well, who am I now that I'm not out working? And the isolation and the challenges to identity that can raise. I understand that because I've been there. 
For those of you who have immigrated across the world and starting a new life here in New Zealand, I can empathise with that because we did it three times. I know the opportunities that are involved with starting a new country, but I also know the heartbreaking reality of being a stranger in a strange land. It's not an easy thing to walk away from an established life and start all over again, even if it's the right thing to do. All of us have parts of our story that are going to help us connect with other people. And God's invitation to us, in fact, his command is for us to go and be missional. To go and take these stories, his and ours, and give them away everywhere we go. Because he wants to transform people's lives. And the awesome thing is, is even as we retell our stories, we are continually transformed. I was chatting with a friend just recently and uh, she was asking me about how I came to faith and some of the stuff that had happened way back then, which, you know, granted, is starting to kind of get further and further behind me. And um, I seem to be talking up a few years. But, and I don't tell that story that often anymore, and as I was just remembering some of the reality that God rescued me out of, I was just like, just struck all over again with just gratitude. And or that he would love me that much and give me an entirely different future to the one that I probably deserved. And it just struck all over me as we tell these stories of God's faithfulness in our lives and his provision and of you know how he, he was with us in our hardest moments. We get to revisit the reality of him being with us all over again. It's got like pulling out your favourite photo album now and looking at all your great memories. That only time gives us perspectives. So what is the story that God has given you to tell? We, uh, Kieran gave us some beautiful maps last week, didn't he? Some of you here, you missed out, and so I thought I'd better do them again. Let's have those maps. Look at that. That's a map that plots where a lot of our regular coasties come from. And there's just these three maps that's a bit more zoomed in, and then we get this little funky 3D one. Just imagine... If each of those blue dots represented two or three people, because these are households, two or three people who were willing to step out and actually tell stories, to tell God's story, to tell their story all over our community. Just think about the ripple effect of that. Like it will just, the, the spread of God's story will just go, and we're just like one church of a bunch up here on the coast, you know? But it will just spread all over the place. That's what we get to be a part of. God's mission on the Hibiscus Coast. So this morning, what is God nudging you about and telling others? Is he maybe just putting someone in your head or in your heart that you just kind of suddenly they're just there and you're like, I wonder if I'm meant to talk to him. What would happen if you just got together for coffee this week with him? Listen to where they're at. And, and just were open to seeing that God has a story that he wants you to tell him. Or it could be that you're just sitting here going, I am feeling inadequate when it comes to telling his story. So maybe the thing, the growing edge for you is to prioritise and pursue that. And maybe you just start by downloading the Read Scripture app on your phone and scheduling time every day to start reading Scripture. But either way, let's choose to become great storytellers. Because we have great stories to tell. Why don't we stand?
you come right now and let me pour your spirit out upon each one of them, then you would further equip them, that you would give them more skill, that you would give them more favor, just Holy Spirit favor with every person that they talk to. Lord, I ask that there would be opportunities that just pop up all over the place that they can't plan, but that you make happen. Pour your spirit out upon them, Lord. Give them your heart for this. Like an arrow that knows where it's going, or I pray that you're going to reach and preach one about what to do with this stuff. That even now, that you'll be planting ideas and people and strategies into their heads and their hearts that will help them really hone this thing and take them where they need to go into the people that need them. Open our hands is just because we're expecting that God will actually fill with 
Thank you. 